Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Ashley. <laughs> Do you forget who you were? No. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. Every time it just sounds like you're questioning, like, I'm Ashley? Like Ron Burgundy? I'm Ron Burgundy? I don't need your judgments on my name, woman. I don't judge your name. So, Ashley, <laughs> anything good happened to you this week? <sighs> the bad of my mind, no. It's just been a busy, busy couple of weeks. That's all. Making all that dough. But not a bad thing. How about you? Um. Yeah. It actually turned out okay. I know I was texting you while it was happening, but we got my my grandpa to go to the doctor, which was a feat in itself. Big win. Big win. Good. He's ninety one. We like we used to tell him that he was the same age as the Queen and Hugh Hefner, but now he's just down to the same age as the Queen. Oh, that's dark. That's not that dark. I mean, Hugh Hefner died this year, so it's fine. Um, He got his vanilla milkshake, a.k.a. his white milkshake, a.k.a. now his Anglo-Saxon milkshake. And for people who are going to be like, that's not politically correct. He's 91 with dementia. Like, let him have what he wants. I'm going to call a vanilla milkshake from now on an Anglo-Saxon milkshake and no one can stop me. So... Oh, it was come at me. Well, it's gonna be great. It's funny because he used to tell um my sister he was like like two syllable John all the time. What? Yeah, my grandfather. What is that? Uh, he doesn't use any word longer than two syllables. Oh, okay. I was like, what? What happened just now? Yeah, and then I told my sister and Caitlin, and she goes, "What? Wait, he used the word Anglo-Saxon," and I was like, "Yeah." Maybe he thought it was two words, and that's two syllables each, so it's fine. So today is my turn. So for those of you who saw our tip-off and were wondering who that possibly could be and enjoyed my really lovely picture of a boat, we're going to talk about Christopher Columbus, the horrible person. (laughs) We have to. Well, I did all the research, so yes. Oh, fine. Okay, so let's talk about this motherfucker. Uh, so what was the world like in the 1450s? Glad you asked. I know you didn't ask, but, um, since Columbus is Italian, in case you didn't know that, um, show of hands, who knew that? My hand is up, but only because of the Borgias. Did I know that? He's Italian. He's Italian. Uh, the Islamic empire is actually creeping over to Italy, taking land, taking some more land, killing a bunch of people. Sailing some boats. As empires do. As empires do. But this threat by the Ottoman Turks basically looms over Italy because they end up getting really close. Uh, And Christopher Columbus is born in Genoa, which is a big port city, big port empire, because Italy is not a thing, (laughs) which is a whole other crying about over history that no one needs to deal with right now. So in 1451, we were graced with the presence of Christopher Columbus and his mother, Susanna, oh shit, I, Italian, Fontanarosa, uh, married, had married the master weaver, Domico Colombo, and those are his parents. They both come from weaving families in Genoa. When Columbus was two, the city of Constantinople, which for those of you who like Roman history will know, was the eastern capital of the Roman Empire, fell to the Ottoman Turks. It pretty much devastated in the Western European mind this bastion of Christianity, so Orthodox Christianity. But Christopher was not an only child, shockingly, if you ever see birth rates of the period popping them out like a t-shirt cannon. Like what? t-shirt cannon (laughs) that's awful and i love it okay continue (laughs) you forget i've seen like the birth records of the period and it's literally like every every two years got another kid that's so graphic though just uh, the image is burned to my brain now (laughs) oh oh my goodness okay that hurt all right continue okay so uh you're and some change after Christopher got a brother, Bartholomew, 
who was actually a successful human being, so good for him, and a sister, Bianchetta, which sounds like um, Bruschetta. They had another brother who died, and the youngest of all, Jacobo, who was born 17 years after Columbus, Christopher. I'm just going to call him Seabus, and it's going to show that I'm from Ohio really hardcore. But I'm gonna say no one outside of Ohio is gonna understand that. But I like it. (laughs) Brief aside, the capital of Ohio is Columbus, and it gets abbreviated to Seabus all the time. Like Cleveland gets abbreviated to land, the land, which is dumb. And or as my father likes to call it, the mistake by the lake. Because you know he gets great joy out of telling you that you live in the mistake by the lake. Hey, we have good beer. There's actually it's fine. It's it's cool. Um, and Cincinnati is Cincy, so I'm gonna refer to Columbus as Seabus just for pure brevity, and let my inner Ohioan come out. Okay, so Seabus's father is in the historic records, but he seems like uh one of those businessmen that's really likable but really shitty at business. You know, think Michael Scott from The Office. You like him, but you know he's really bad at his job. So this is the world that the young Seabus... Okay, that sounds dumb now that I'm hearing it repeatedly. Columbus became a sailor. There's no real clear record because he contradicts himself. And, you know, no one had social media at that time. So according to his son Ferdinand, who wrote his biography, he said he had first become a seaman when he was 14. But this doesn't mean really like, do you mean in a actual sense, a professional sense? Were you just like out to sea? And remember, um, Genoa is on the Mediterranean, so he could be like sailing around since he was a child. And does that mean he's a sailor? Deep life questions. However, when he was 50, he wrote in a letter to Ferdinand and Isabella that he had first gone to sea at the age of 10. I don't know what to believe. We're going to go with around 1465, kind of in the middle of those two. He became a sailor, going with his son's sense of the ways. Um, this means he's started at a young age. He can be quite experienced by the by 1492, the date that all school children know. Columbus said he was an active participant in the rebellion against Juan II of Aragon, don't want to go into it. Basically, Juan II was trying to take over parts of Italy because of inheritance, yada, yada, yada. Italy isn't a country. It's a bunch of kingdoms and city-states. So it makes it really annoying and confusing. And the fun thing is Columbus actually wrote of it. And of this, he, he wrote, It happens that King Rene, with, now with God, sent me to Tunis to seize the Gallus of Ferdinand. Ferdinania. Now, when I was off the island of San Pietro near Sardinia, I was informed that the Gallias was accompanied by two other ships and a carac. My crew were disturbed by the news and refused to carry on unless I returned to Marseille and pick up another ship and some more men. Seeing that I cannot force their hand without some ruse or artifice, I agreed to what agreed to what what they asked me. But then, having changed the pull of the magnetic needle, I made sail at nightfall, and the next morning at dawn we were off the off Cape Carthage, whereas all the board had been quite certain we were making for Marseilles. So he seems to be an accomplished sailor, and even a captain at this point. And this rebellion occurred between 1470 and 1473. So you're looking at about five to eight years after we can like be certain he's been sailing it for a given amount of time. The fun thing about <laughs> doing this research is there isn't a lot of historical record for his early life before he becomes an adult, which isn't unusual for someone who was born a weaver's son, or master weaver, I should say. He's earned it. Uh, so we learn a lot through his life looking back or having telling what he told his sons. So who knows? This could be all bullshit. And we can have a discussion about that at the end, if it's bullshit or not. Because I tend to believe when that at this point that they they tend to be bullshitty as well as so during this time he's also voyaging to the island island of 
Chios, Chos, Chosos. Um, this is in the Aegean Sea. But why, why mention it, you ask? Because these repeated voyages to Chios um, help Columbus later in life when you're sailing around the Caribbean to determine islands, to ter- like sailing around when you can't see any land. Because as the author of the book I read, which was Arnold Bradford's Christopher Columbus, pretty, pretty good read, um, said he saw new waters, new aspects of sky and land, and beheld for the first time unknown islands rising from the sea at dawn. He learned of, about the violent squalls that can descend on a vessel when sh- she is on the lee side of highland, and how the wind-impelled currents can drive at one or two knots through narrow channels separating one Aegean island from another. So basically, it's good practice for figuring how to find land, how to sail difficult seas. So after uh, he is in this rebellion against Juan II and sailing to the island of Chios, we know he pops up in 1476 on a a Flemish merchant ship. Ashley, do you know what Flanders is besides the character from The Simpsons? I know that Flemish is like the national language of Belgium. So yes. I want to say Flanders is probably a city in Belgium, but I could be wrong. Um, it used to be the it's a region that used to be a country. Uh, but Flemish is that northern Danish Belgian re- region scattered throughout there. I can't remember exactly where it is, but it's in northern Europe. But it was a prominent trading city. Um, you see art in the Flemish style. So think of Netherlands, Belgium that kind of style, that area. Very prominent in early banking, early sailing, and all of that jazz. So Columbus is on a Flemish merchant ship. I should also mention that at this period of time, you don't have to sail under your own country's colors. And that includes in the military. So you can serve under any military that you wish, as long as they pay you. Hopefully they pay you. And we see this pretty much until the 19th, 20th century that people are working under different colors, shall we say. It was more popular um, or common for sailors just because it's such a hard skill set and you need the experience to to learn it um, that you'll see in a lot of accounts that ships especially will be a hodgepodge of different nationalities, basically because... If you know that, say, the British pay pay well, they'll pay on time, why not serve under the, the British Navy during a time of war? Because you get a chance at getting some extra cash with the booty. The booty! So, Columbus is on this Flemish merchant ship, sailing in a convoy of Genoese. Genoans? Genoese? Gosh, I should have learned Italian. Um, ships destined for Portugal, England, and Flanders. So Flemish Flanders. However, this Flemish convoy encounters French naval forces and there's an ensuing battle. They're all like, pew, pew, psh, psh, fire. They, people get ships getting blown up and all of that. <laughs> and Columbus ends up with a uh, group of sailors from his ship and several other ships wrecked off of the Gauss. And from here, we see him going to Lisbon, Portugal. From here, he hooks up on the first ship that is available for work and sails to Iceland, where he hears stories of land to the west. There's this mysterious land to the west that people know of. Does that remind you of anything? It reminds me of Vikings and Ragnar Lothbrok, but... What stories about the land to the west could Columbus have heard? There is the beautiful saga. I just read that as Sega. <laughs> like a video game. <laughs> saga of Eric the Red. So your answer of Vikings was correct. <laughs> Applause, fireworks. <laughs> Victory day. Um, so this saga, not Sega, described um, many things, but specifically about Eric's two sons left 
who sailed directly from Norway for Greenland in the year 1000. Did he just like go left? Is that why they called him left? Or what, what's the deal there? Do you know? I think it's just a um, Norwegian or Scandinavian name. It's kind of boring. Sorry, Norway. I was hoping for a better story than that. Um, so left, Lift. I'm sure it's probably like Lift. If you're from Scandinavia, please let us know. He missed Cape Farewell, the southernmost point of Greenland. That is a very apt Cape name. Cape Farewell. Farewell. Are you going to call it Cape Hello? No. <laughs> Not what Cape... the last time you're going to see them. I think it should be Cape Bye, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and left landed in either... Nova Scotia or Newfoundland. I'm going to read you some of the saga. So, Left and his men, and here's where it starts, were a long time at sea, finally striking upon land they did not, they had not expected. It had fields of natural, and then brackets, self-sown wheat and wine berries. Among the trees were maples, and quote, the new land they called Vineland or Wineland after the grapes. I was going to say, isn't a wine berry just a grape? Yes. Then when he returns to Portugal, there are eight years unaccounted for, really. So we know this period is uh, 1477 to 85. And we know at this time he's either in Portugal or a Portuguese sailor. He's doing one of the two. The Like, try keeping paper aboard a wooden ship. It's very difficult. It's not a good time. But there was little documentation. One... um. Merchant he ran into said uh, he had very little, Columbus had very little formal education, He was, ma- but he was a man of keen intelligence, being skill, very skilled in cos- cosmography and in making maps of the world. And this is also where we find out that uh, in these eight years, he learned the rudiments of Latin and became a fluent Portuguese speaker. Uh, and he probably learned Castilian Spanish later in life, most likely when he got to Spain. Uh, or Castilian was also spoken by the upper classes in Portugal, but he could definitely work at, as a map maker or bookseller when he wasn't at sea. And those, for people who don't know what cosmography is, Ashley, do you know what it is? Isn't it charting the stars? No, it's a, <laughs> how to describe, it's a weird hodgepodge of like map making historical record think of it like a really funky atlas but with legends and histories and botany and all of that thrown in with some astrology as well so this is where we get early maps most people were cosmographers as well as making maps so especially if you're doing global maps they're really cool to look at and i highly suggest it not just because I took a class on it, but that's besides the point. And you're here, though, there. So, what else was he, Columbus, doing in these eight mysterious years? He got married Aww. to Felipa Moniz Perestro. Perestro. Sorry, I'm pronouncing this with a span in Spanish. I don't speak Portuguese. Uh, she was the daughter of Bartholomew Perestro, who had been made the first governor of Porto Santo and the Madeiras, so the islands off of Africa. Um, she was also the granddaughter of Gil Moniz, who was from one of the oldest families in Portugal and who had been a close companion of the great Prince Henry. So she is some pretty old school, aristocratic, fancy ass shit. Like that's her lineage. <laughs> so why is it significant to mention Prince Henry, who is like best friends with her uh, grandfather? Well, he has probably leveraged that royal connection to get financing for whatever crazy trip he wanted to go on of his own accord. Well, a, a little bit, but I mean, it, being married to a really, really aristocratic person does help open a lot of doors. I know, you know, you my know single experience, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> not desperately single here. It's fine. <laughs> nope, not here either. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, actually, Prince Henry was one of Portugal's princes in the early 15th century who laid the foundations for Portugal's overseas empire and initiated the great age of exploration. So he's really the one who 
for Europe kicked everything off. He was sending ships out, like trying to find faster routes to China, India, around the Mediterranean, uh, mapping the African coast. So we Europeans have a lot to be thankful for that. The rest of the world, not so much. Ashley, do you want to hear how they met and fell in love? Because I think you're really going to enjoy this. Oh, absolutely. Hit me with it. I love a good romance. <laughs> they met, according to his son, at the Covenant of the Saints in Lisbon, where Columbus used to go to attend Mass. Okay, that is actually really cute, because my mom and my stepdad met at church, and that's an adorable stuff right there. Oh, it gets less adorable? Of course it does. It's Christopher Columbus. So, why is it significant that he went to this specific church? Because for ambitious young men um, who wanted to be acquainted with a potential wife from the upper classes... There was no better place to go than this church. Young women were scrupulously chaperoned and there was no social life um, where you could meet a bride of that stature outside of church. Uh, and so churches were used specifically for two sexes to interact with each other and see each other. Um, and even in later on in, in more relaxed societies than Portugal, they were used for these interactions. So basically, you'd go to mass to find your true love. I mean, that's, I still think that's kind of sweet, though. I mean, I would hope that you would go to church for other reasons, too. But if that's even if that's the only one, like, you're still there, right? Yeah, it's kind of sweet, but also kind of sad that you, he he's purposely picking a certain church to go to I mean, because it's known for having... Can't even go to church without having, like ulterior motives that they have to deal with but at the same time who says that they're not going there just to piss off their parents and marry someone lower down the social ladder i like it go to church to piss off your parents <laughs> typical 15th century rebellious teenager always in church <laughs> so why would this aristocratic girl marry this really unknown genoese sailor, map maker. Um, well, they were not very well off financially. Um, the mom had another daughter that she needed to raise and support uh, and had to maintain her own status. And her husband, Bartholomew Perestro, had died in Port Santo. And they were so financially stricken that he had she had to sell off the rights in the governorship of the island. So they broke! That would do it. So Columbus and his new bride, and then they have a kid um, named Diego, uh, lived with her mother for a while, you know, living that great life. <laughs> but between 1480 and 83, they moved to Port Santo, Porto Santo, and uh, Puchal, which is in the main island of Madeira. So it's the capital city. So... This time, Columbus is, you know, living his life, trying to support his family with being a sailor, merchant, learning everything he can, map making, all of that, building connections. Interestingly, these islands off of Af Af the coast of Africa keep having more evidence that there's some unknown land in the Western Atlantic. So for people who say, oh, they didn't, they didn't know, they had hints. There were hints. They were like, like, these weird sticks would come up, and they're like, oh, that's strange. Some bodies sometimes would make it all the way across the Atlantic. So, and they were like, well, these aren't Africans, and these aren't people who live in Madeiras or the Azores, so there must be, like, something else. And current theory states that it was probably Carib natives who were on their canoes, and they went really far out got caught up by the current and ended up dying and washed ended up off the coast of Africa because that's how currents work um are you laughing at my song yeah so Columbus is sailing off and going between the islands and the west coast of Africa because there is a strong Portuguese trade and they're building trading posts all along the gold coast because you know gotta Get all those slaves and shit from Africa. They return 
the Columbus family returns to Lisbon in 1484. Sebas meets with the king, with King John II of Portugal about his plans because he thinks he can get to China or India real quick. He does. He thinks the earth is very small. Smaller than people think. Yeah, just a little bit. So, King John II, I'm not I I was really happy they made this in the English version cuz I it's like wow, ciao. I cannot pronounce Portuguese. Um he was known to the to the Portuguese people as John the Perfect. It's a great thing to be known as. Um, no pressure. No pressure, yeah. He was very ambitious for his country's overseas like tenure, and he was determined to stabilize Portugal by curbing the power of nobles at home, a.k.a. authoritarian. Yeah, definitely perfect. Sorry. No big deal. So... John was intrigued by Columbus, but he's like, I'm going to need to check this out. So he commissions a report. Well, he he appointed a commission who created a report and they were like, yeah, probably not. There's probably no way to do this. But John was really, really intrigued. So he sent out his own voyage. So he funded a couple ships to go and be like, let's see, follow this guy's instructions. And it fails. So the next year, because of this failed attempt, John II of Portugal rejected Columbus's voyage. Also, his wife, Dona Felipa, died. So Aww. it's a bit of a rough year. Poor girl. Poor guy. I actually kind of feel bad for him on that one. That sucks. I know. So he's dejected. Columbus takes his five-year-old son, Diego, and I'm not going to lie, did I think of Go Diego Go? Yes. Because I did too. They went to the small port of Palos in Andalusia. And this makes me very happy because I love Andalusia. I only lived there for six weeks, but I love it. Okay. Was he just leaving Portugal because he was really, really sad? What do you think, Ashley? Yes, but also no. He was very in debt and being pursued by his creditors. So... Um, he's in this small town of Palos and he, uh, arranges with the monastery that takes in travelers and all this. And he places his son Diego in the monastery where he would begin his education. And Columbus fortuitously got on really well with the friar who was also really, really interested in cosmography. And if there's land out to the, um, the West and... He introduces, the friar introduces Columbus to the Count of Medina City. And this is how Columbus gets an interview with the Reyes Catholicos, a.k.a. Fernando Isabel, who I'm going to refer to them as the Reyes Catholicos for the rest of the time because it's shorter. While we don't know if he actually met with them that year because they're fighting a war constantly against the Moors. Um, the one account from La Casa said that Columbus asked for no more than three or four cavels to attempt the pas- passage, but we do know that his reception at court was not unfavorable. But again, they're fighting a war. So so for from 1485 to 1490, Columbus is uh, chilling in Spain, hanging out. Uh, and we know for a period of time that he's fought for... Well, probably most of the time he's following the court around and he is very poor, like very, very poor. The comment of the state of his cloak was often brought up in that it was shit. Threadbare and looking sad. The court around then, if he can't afford a new cloak. He's one of those hanger on so he can get fed and he can do work and stuff. He does work with like making maps and all that, but he's he's making subsistence if that so he can't afford to buy a new cloak or anything like that so we do know um we do know in 1486 there is the first documented reading with meeting with the reyes catholicos both of them in cordova and they are convinced enough to convene a special commission to judge his theories and claims so the same thing that juan ii did uh in the next year, Columbus begins receiving a pittance, and he's hoping for a positive outcome from this commission. Th- this reason was um, he knew he had at least one member on the commission 
Diego de Deza, a Dominican friar, on his side, and possibly Hernando de Talvera, and he they would fight for him within this commission to determine the outcome. His pittance <laughs> was roughly the same as a working man's wage, but again, you're a kingdom at war, and so the state of the treasury can't be that healthy. It, and I love the description. Sufficient to keep body and soul together, but little more. I mean, that's just straight up poetic. Yeah. Um, in 1488, so in this five years of wandering around poverty, uh, Columbus meets Beatriz Enriquez and has a new son, Ferdinand. Beatriz is the daughter of more common folk who were also Genoese. So there might be a... God, because she's the daughter of lower people, there might be that might be the reason why Columbus didn't marry her, because his last wife was upper nobility, and that has more prominence than his mistress. But hey, you got another son out of it, Wait, so... they weren't married, though? No. Huh? They never got married. Oh, okay, I was thinking that they did. Nope. What? Okay, see, this is a little bit more progressive story than I thought it was. I thought they were married. But her family's okay with it, um... For some reason. Well, maybe they're more lax because they were aristocracy, maybe? Or the fact that he said, I'm going to do all this great stuff. And uh, yeah, and then you can... I mean, her her family was on the trips across the sea. Oh, okay. So yeah, followed through. Yeah, yeah, they came with them. Um, All right, fair enough. So, unfortunately, in the same year as his son being born, his pittance penance is cut off so we really don't know where he is before you could track him through his like small allowance now you're like um where in spain is christopher columbus and then in 1490 the commission report comes in and it goes yeah this is not not feasible it's not a good idea so the next year in 91 columbus returns to the monastery to collect diego and plans to meet his brother in france why France, you ask? Because his brother, Bartholomew, you know, the one that I said is a su- successful human being, uh, went to the French court where the elder sister of King Charles VIII, Anne de Bajou, Bajou, became his patron and he was working at Fontainebleau as a map maker. So he's a successful person, unlike his brother at this point. However, the in 1492, several privy members... And Columbus's friends convince Isabel to fund Columbus. And let's just go with the 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 famous legend that Isabel sold sold her jewelry to fund this thing. She did not. That is a myth. Get over it. I've seen the box that they said her jewels were in here and she sold them all. But yes, she was an amazing woman and she did not sell her jewels. Let's put it that way. <laughs> So she says, okay, we can do this because this is um, Louis, Louis de Saint-Angel, um, who was keeper of the privy purse, told her, he goes, it's a worthwhile risk because if the adventurer failed, no more than two or three small ships would be lost. If, on the other hand, he triumphed, honors, titles, and percentages would be little in compared to what uh, would accrue to the throne and the Spanish treasury. So basically, like, well, if he fails, we lose like two to three ships of men and all that. That's fine. But if he succeeds and gets to Asia, yes, all the stuff. So Columbus and the crown signed their contract on April 17th, 1492. So basically Columbus has been fighting for this for like six years. And finally in 1492, it all happens within 1492. It's one year. So when they say 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, they, they ain't wrong, but also 1492, Columbus did everything, like everything to get that journey going from January to October when he found the region. So do you think on New Year's Eve, he like a 14, like the end of 1491 into 1492, you think he did that like white girl thing where he was like, this year I'm going to accomplish all my dreams. And then, but like, unlike most of us, he actually did it. Can someone please draw Christopher Columbus as a white girl, just like wishing, like with a champagne and like 
like a thing being like like all these things that he writes down just sound really crazy but then he actually follows through and does them all like new year new me right yeah no that's the title of the list are you ready to hear his demands like that this is in the contract demands yes let's hear it five basic points one columbus is to be made admiral of the ocean uh, ocean sea and of the countries which he is to discover he shall hold this dignity throughout his life and it shall descend to his heirs two he is to be the viceroy and governor general of all the continents and islands he shall discover three he shall have a tenth share of all gold silver pearls jewels and other merchandise that shall be found, bought, gained, or otherwise produced in the countries which he is to discover. Four, he is as admiral or a deputy appointed by him, shall be the sole judge in any dispute regarding mercantile matters that shall occur in the countries which he is to discover. Five, he has the option of investing an eighth part in any ships which may sail uh, to these new countries, and in return, he shall make any he may take any eighth part of the profits. So this is just all legitimately crazy is what you're getting at. I mean... That seems like a lot to me. It's a lot. That they're granted. They also don't think he's coming back. Well, but even so, like, on the off chance that he does come back, I I don't know. It still seems like a lot, even if you're sending him on a dead man's yeah. errand. You know what I mean? I think the fifth one, which is, like, he he has an option to take like invest in any ship that it's going to the new country like even if they don't want him to like they could be fully funded and he's like nope i'm investing in this this is mine now you know that's not i mean that's crazy but like the one that really grabbed me was the that he's viceroy and governor of anything he touches like yeah it, that's insane this is a man that literally went around in tattered clothes even when they were paying him and like sustaining him and they're going to let him be in charge of whatever he discovers when he can't even be in charge of his own purse. Yeah. Really? You know what? He, he, he put a flag on it. You know, if you like it, put a flag on it. Yeah. I enjoy that he gets a 10th share of any shit taken out of whatever he finds. Yeah. That was also like this dude had everything to gain. And this is, these are the terms that he put before uh john ii of portugal and they were like hee hee no can you imagine like having the testicular fortitude to throw that in front of not one but two sets of reigning monarchs and just be like here's what you're gonna pay me for doing this thing that you even you two aren't entirely sure i I would say no but then i think of our president and i'm like oh right That's not testicular fortitude. That's something. Yes, else. but the man bankrupted two casinos, and I don't understand that. But back to another asshole, Christopher Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> First, he has to get oh, a ship. You. you know how how are you going to to sail across the ocean? The town of Palos uh, had, for some unspecified time committed an offense and mind you offenses in quotations against the crowd and it had been and this is also in quotes condemned and ordered by the royal council to provide should it be required two cavels fully equipped and prepared for a whole year's service so they just forced some town be like give us two tiny ships with men and stuff you did something but it saved them a ton of money so they get their ships columbus gets another ship and they depart um spain august 3rd let's get into the names of the ships because i i really enjoyed this because i didn't know this so this is uh from the same biography he went real deep into this uh the names of the ships can hardly have appealed to columbus's somewhat puritanical tastes and it is only uh almost certain that it was at his instigation that his flagship had her name changed to Santa Maria Holy Mary. Do you want to know what they were? She started out, Santa Maria started her life out as La Gallea, the woman of Galicia, yes. and at some time or another uh, had been renamed to Margalante, or Naughty Mary. And Columbus changed them because it was yeah. probably unsuitable to have a ship called the Naughty Mary as the flagship of the Admiral of the Ocean Sea. And the I don't most. Know, man. <laughs> I kind of like I love that. this historian right now. He goes, I kind of dig it. 
equally undoubtedly, her crew continued to call her Naughty Mary. <laughs> so he's like, he's just like, yeah, Columbus renamed her, but they were like, no. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Really, we're being forced into this. Let's not. Um, so we're like, well, really, La we Pita called the Painted One a sailor's euphemism for a whore. Okay. So <laughs> we know. have the Naughty Mary, the Painted One, aka the whore, <laughs> and La Nina, the girl. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the trio you want finding the new world. Okay. However, you know, for as shambly as Columbus's life has been up to this point, it was actually. Um, for 15th century standards, this was actually a well-planned and equipped uh, voyage. Love when you're going for. Sorry, forgot a word. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a well-planned and equipped voyage with good seaworthy ships manned by first-class sailors. So they head to the Canaries as a little like jumping-off point rather than Port uh, Spain. And they leave the Canaries on September 3rd. They had to do some repairs because La Pinta had some issues that needed to be fixed with her rudder and such. So once they get outside, out, out of sight of land, uh, Columbus begins practicing his most famous piece of deception, keeping a true log, in, which was not actually that true uh, nautical-wise, for himself and a falsified one for the benefit of the crews. Yeah. He has two books. The old double book trick. Another thing you have in common with the president. Yeah. So there was actually a gentleman who followed the same voyage as Columbus, like recreated it. And he found that actually the sailor's log was truer than Columbus's own log. <laughs> but the problem was there's no actual certain way at that point to tell how far they had gone because they had the Europeans have, had lost the... Roman method of tracking distance when sailing. And I'm not going to go into how they actually, he actually accounted for distance, but he, uh, okay, he, let's just do an example of this. So Monday, September 10th, his own log made that they had run 60 leagues, whereas his crew log said 48 leagues. And a league is equivalent to about three nautical miles. So he's basically saying there's 12 leagues difference. What's the difference between a nautical mile and a regular? I don't know. No. Waves. Okay, good. Then Waves good. are the difference. Oh my god, really? <laughs> okay, Um. so there begin to be problems towards the end of September because they're not sighting land. They're, they had problems with they lost the wind, so they're just kind of in wooden boats, not really moving very fast. At this point, Columbus is pretty sure that people are trying to kill him. And I mean, I don't blame them. A lot of a lot of the sailors didn't want to go, so they no. I don't. And he told this delegation that said, Hey, we should turn around and he goes, There is no point in your complaining, no point at all. I'm going to the Indies and I shall sail on until with God's help I find them. So they're like, he's basically telling them that, uh, yeah, bitch, no, we're going. So basically, the they submit for a little bit. And mind you, ships at this point in time are dangerous to be aboard. Like, you can die from just doing your job. You can fall from the rigging. Something can fall on you. You could go overboard. It's very tenuous. And captains, he says he's the admiral of the ocean seas, so he has ultimate command. He can have you flogged. He could have pu your punishment be horrible to a point that it might not be worth fighting him. It might, at this point, they all agree it's not worth taking him on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I get that. So they have, in early September, they have a false sighting of landfall, which Columbus, it's my favorite one. It's the shadiest shit that he pulls. Oh my god. So, on October 7th, there was a false, another false illusion of, illusion of landfall. The Nina thought she saw land. However, it was just clouds and... <laughs> what? How, how do you make that mistake? Really? I've never sailed on the open ocean, so I don't know. But... Leave it to the girl who has no idea what's going on to be like, look, it's land. But no, it's a cloud. It's a cloud. Uh, so this is making the mood on the ships even better. 
especially because Columbus said, hey, uh, you get 10,000 maravis um, to the first man who sights land, and Columbus would personally give him a silk doublet. So he's like, here's a bunch of money and a silk doublet. This seems like good leadership, though. Just incite a riot amongst your crew members. Or make people who are really desperate to find fucking land even more desperate. But after months and months on a ship with Christopher Columbus, would you not already be really desperate to find land? They're only about a a month out. That's a crazy thing. That's a month. With this man? You just hope you're not on the Naughty Mary. Maybe be on the girl or the painted one. I mean, the painted one just had a repaired udder, or rudder. Wow. Repaired rudder. <laughs> so arguably that's the better one to be on. Okay. So about 10 p.m., Columbus thought he saw a light like a wax candle that rose and fell ahead of the ships. And <laughs> uh, this is how he claims the prize. So wait, he claims his own prize? Yeah. What a jerk. <laughs> if I was a soldier or one of the sailors, I probably would have gone full Pirates of the Caribbean and stranded him on an island with his nothing but his chest hair and two sea turtles to <laughs> escape with. But they probably had more restraint than I do, so. Yeah, and the thing is, he convinced, he asked two seamen if they can sell. So one said he could see something, the other said he saw nothing at all, so. And, but I mean, how do you not then split it with the dude who was like, yeah, I totally see something there. Because it's Columbus. Valid, okay. Fair enough. So... On 2 a.m. At 2 a.m. Friday, October 12th, uh, because the Pinta, which was surging away from the little fleet, fired the gun signal, land in sight. Most people were like, false alarm? Uh, But all of a sudden, there appears to be white cliffs ahead. So this is the island, which is now known as San Salvador, or on British charts, Watling's Island. San Salvador sounds way better. Rolls off the tongue, easy. Yeah, um, Christopher Columbus named it after Savior of Mankind. I mean, I get that. Not a, he met his life at church. What else did you expect? Yeah. Um, and so and he's being financed by two super Catholic monarchs. So the, you know. the most Catholic of all monarchs. True. Although Catherine of Aragon could probably give them a run for their money. But anyway. I mean, it, it they are related. Actually, that's her daughter. Yeah, I know. I um, how, how do you think she got that Catholic? True, it's true. Um, so the natives are watching, like, who the fuck are they? What the fuck are those? Like, to the ships, because they've never seen ships with sails. And they were the natives were specifically a branch of the Arawak group, natives of South of South America, who had been immigrated from the mainland with within the recent centuries and had been enslaved or exterminated an earlier wave of immigrants to the island. So. They're like, um, these strange people are coming aboard our home and they're very friendly to them, which might have been a mistake. The next day, October 13th, they went again and explored the island more thoroughly, which attracted the attentions of the Arawak people and their leader. Um, kind of their downfall was they had rings of gold hanging from their noses and the Spanish were like, ah, the gold that's what we came for so just think of the song from pocahontas but they found gold and the native like the native <laughs> people didn't realize they were fucked uh my favorite thing was they brought air an arabic translator because they thought they were going to be in asia and you know there's islam all over the world so they're like ah easy everyone be- speaks arabic or someone will know arabic well no that guy was useless so they were communicating via simple hand gestures and they figured out that the gold came from some land in the south and the word for this land sounded like Cucabana. So this is the center of Cuba. But you want to guess what Columbus thought Cubanacana uh, was? I really have Kublai Khan, aka relation oh. of Genghis Khan, <laughs> like the Mongols. I found it. Guys, we're good. Yes, we're good. We're good. I found Asia. I found Asia. Who's the best? I'm the best. Who's the best? Okay, so that's a direct quote. I I believe it. That sounds like Columbus. Well, now the Spaniards are like, let's go look for other areas of Asia, and they put some natives on their ship, and he's like, okay, show us on your boats too. Them, fine. Yeah, they didn't have anything to do that day. No, and he's like, show us where these other lands are. Well, his, 
And they were like, what? Well, he learned very quickly that the European ships could not catch the canoe, the boats, the natives' boats. Um, <laughs> like when you're following someone in traffic and you get stuck at a red light, but they get to go ahead and you're like, I don't know where to go without you. I hope you wait for me. No, it's like someone's in the fast lane on the freeway and you're stuck. Be- you're like cornered by two semis. Oh, the worst. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, the fact that one of the natives jumped off the boat into a, ca- a canoe that came alongside, and as well as... Can you imagine them doing circles around the ship? That'd be great. Like, while it's trying to move forward. Um, they're also jumping, like, they would jump ship and just swim away. <laughs> they're just like... <laughs> so I could just picture... That's arguably the smartest in this entire story. Yeah, I can picture Columbus is like... Yeah, the, the Columbus is like, Yes, very, very good, very good. You you stay on the ship and you show us where the other places are and we take care of you. And the native's like, strange, but they're like, strange men. Who's the strange man? Uh, yeah, uh, I know that island. I'm, I'm out. Okay, later. You seem nice and all, but no, I didn't want to come. Okay, bye. And then he just runs away. Like, I actually had a bunch of errands to do today, so I'm tapping out later. Have fun finding what you're not even Yeah. Uh, Bradford, historian Bradford, says that, again with the sass, again, um, so Bradford said, this incident alone should have convinced him that the the Indians did not think he was doing them a service by removing them from their native islands. <laughs> yeah. So, he is traveling around from October 12th until January 16th, 1493, um, around the Caribbean, and basically he didn't know any of this was there. However, before he returned back to Spain, the Santa Maria, aka Naughty Mary, hit a coral reef, and they couldn't really save her, but they were able to get a bunch of the valuable shit off the boat, most of it, and get it to shore. So Columbus was like, you know what? I'm gonna found a European settlement here. He named it La Navidad, so yeah, Christmas. And it's where it's in Haiti now. And he sailed from La Navidad January fourth in the Nina. He left behind twenty men twenty he left behind twenty one men under the command of Diego de Parana, the cousin of his mistress. See, I said they were fine with it. He they chill with him. Classy I know. So they made really good time until they reached the Azores, crossing the Atlantic when they ran into a bad storm and it separated the Nina from two of the ships. Uh, Columbus gets anchored off the Portuguese island of Santa Maria, where they were imprisoned because the local governor thought they had uh, com- had it sailed on an illicit voyage to West Africa because it was all under the Portuguese now. They get to leave February 24th and then hit by storms again. So he, Columbus manages to make it to Portugal where he's summoned by King John II, um, who actually received the first report of the discovery of America, not the Reyes Catholicos. In Portugal, they managed to repair the Nina, who by now, I don't know how any of these ships are afloat. They weren't actually that well, like they were kind of older ships and like not doing well. Um, in, on March 14th, they leave Portugal and return to Spain the next day. It, and then on April 7th, the Reyes Catholicos had received Columbus's report and asked them asked him to meet them in Barcelona to start preparations for the next voyage. I've been at the palace where they did this. Do, do, do. Okay. <laughs> I know. So he arrives at court in Barcelona in April 20th. He's there for three months, but... And it, like the discovery is like spreading throughout Europe. They're like, oh my God, there's something there. There is a land to the West. Strange, weird, huh? Wonder what it is. Who would have thought? Again, one of my favorite things, Native Americans who came back with Columbus began to spread syphilis in Europe, much as the Europeans spread smallpox and measles to the Americas. Fair trip, that's fine. Well, especially because, you know, smallpox and me- measles they they sucked, but you could like die or like recover from them. Syphilis makes you go mad. I think that's a fair trade. Well, and if you think about how you can track syphilis, yeah, think of how many of those encounters were consensual. Six, probably not a lot. I mean, I feel like syphilis is sort of 
I mean, they kind of deserved it if we're assuming that most of those were not consensual encounters. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's that's fair. Yeah. No. Maybe. I think I think I don't it's, know. Either way, I think it's fair. Not a great situation. Okay. So second voyage, much larger. They got seventeen ships, and the flagship again is the Santa Maria, but not the Naughty Mary. It's a different ship. Uh, they brought about twelve hundred to fifteen hundred men. No women. So the whole syphilis conversation, let's repeat on that. So the second voyage starts September 25th, 1493. So he's only been back in Europe for a couple months. They stop in the Canary Islands and then head out. They reach Dominica, which is named so because they reached it on Sunday. You know, super creative. And I dig it. Mm -hmm. This is where they encounter the first Caribs. Uh, They're a different native people from the Arawaks. And they had a reputation for warlike fierceness. Basically, they're going around. Uh, they get attacked by some of these groups. They reach Puerto Rico on the 19th. So, hey, Puerto Rico. We, if you're interested in that, go check out one our other episodes. Hangs out there for a little bit. And then they reach their goal of their settlement on of La Navidad on November 27th. Ashley, what know. do you think they found? Yeah. Ruins and unburied bodies of the Spanish everywhere. <laughs> oh, I don't want to laugh at that, but it's already happening. Uh, and no one knows what happened, so... You can guess, though, no? They, yeah, well, it doesn't say... It just says unburied bodies, so they so don't, like... they like, illness? Yeah, or... So the theories are the Spanish had made too many demands on the Arawaks, turning them against them, or the Spanish fought among themselves, or it was a combination... Or they all got syphilis and died. That's not how that works. <laughs> Sorry, that's not how that works. Uh, that's not how I mean. So they abandoned. So they abandoned the site, and he Columbus took his new colonists, mind you, all dudes, all dudes, seventy-five miles east to the small shell bay where he built a trading fort called Isabella in the now Dominican Republic. So then Columbus sends Alonso de Oreja to the interior mountains where he did find gold. So. Yay, gold. Well, they send a bunch of gold, some stuff he thought were spices with a lot of the ships back to Spain with like, hey, look at all this shit we found. 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 It's the end of that song. So he only has five of the 17 ships left. And Columbus is like, let's go explore this island. Let's do this. So the beginning of April, he does that. Um, And then... On June 12th, a, cur- a curious incident occurred. What do you think it was? I'm not sure, but can we talk about how 5 out of 17 ships is like 29% and not even close to a passing grade? Did you just do the math? Yeah, I did. That's why it took me so long. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that was kind of dumb. Maybe they had a lot of shit to send back. Be like, here's one ship of gold, I mean, one ship of what I think is this spice, one ship of people who are like, please send me back. <laughs> that would be more than one. <laughs> that was like four ships. Well, not now. Now they're like, there's something there. Let's go. Okay. So what do you think this curious incident was? Probably something to do with the indigenous people. Actually, no. Uh, Columbus gathered all of the men together and made them swear an oath that the land they had been traveling along was not an island, but the main part of Asia. What? Yeah. What? Yep. Why? So Why would he do that? He was trying to convince himself that he was in the Indies. Which means like India, Asia, like China, like all that. He thought, yeah, he is. So he was ill and was forced to return to Isabella at the end of September 1494. Once there, he discovered his brother had arrived from Spain. So yay, Bartholomew, the the successful one. Yay. Yep. Um, about the same time, the Arawak natives of Hispaniola realized that the Spanish meant their destruction and collected a large force to try to drive them off. But uh, that failed at the end of March. And after they, the Arawak people were enslaved and died of European diseases. So that solved that problem a little bit. That's one way to for look the, at it. What? I said that's one way to look at it. It was easier for the Europeans. So while they're fighting off the Arawak people and enslaving them and letting them slowly die of smallpox and such, the colonists at Isabella were not doing too well. And Columbus decided to return to Spain on March 10th to explain the situation to Fernanda and Isabella. 
Bartholomew is left in charge and quickly moves the site to the south side of the island at Santo Domingo, which, if you know, Dominican geography is the capital. Right? I feel like I would know. I should know this. Coberto's going to be pissed. So Columbus returns to Spain on the Nina, the girl, again, with one other tiny ship. So let's let's remind you how many ships are here. Well, I'm guessing other ships arrived, so never mind. So Nina and another tiny ship go back to Spain. And this is where it gets weird, like weirder. He lands in Cadiz, and historians have not been able to explain his next actions. He adopted the coarse dress of a Franciscan friar and stayed at austere monasteries. He lived like this for two years. You call that the Rodrigo? <laughs> I'm glad you got that. That was good. That was a deep cut reference. And <clears throat> again, the Borges. You're welcome. Yeah. So while doing that, while living like a Franciscan friar, he is trying to convince uh, the Reyes Catholicos to send him out on a third mission of discovery. And he keeps visiting him. They finally agree to put him in charge of a small fleet to Hispaniola in seven, or 1497. <coughs> Doesn't leave until May, end of May 1498 because Columbus had trouble finding ships and supplies. He goes south. And lands on the island of Trinidad at the beginning of August. Um, they discover Venezuela. What is Venezuela? And they're having trouble. Like again, they're having trouble with the currents along the coast of South America. So he's some of his ships are threatening to sink. So they step foot in Venezuela, and Columbus calls it Paradise del Paradis. So paradise, earthly paradise. You know. He arrives in Santo Domingo, August 21st, and he is greeted by his brother, Bartholomew, and decide they are hanging out on the island administering the gold mines. But the, the Reyes Catholicos are hearing the unfavorable reports about the brothers' ruling administrative tactics. And so they send, July 1500, they send Francisco de Borobdilla, to replace Columbus and become the new governor. So he gets to Santo Domingo and finds the Spanish inhabitants in a state of rebellion and immediately arrests Christopher, Diego, and Bartholomew Columbus. So that's Columbus, his son, and his brother. He sent them back to Spain in chains. And he was, Columbus was finally, Christopher was finally released by the Reyes Catholicos on December 12th. So he was in chains for five weeks. He was ordered to the court at Granada, where he is made to hold accountable for the actions and explain. They, the Reyes Catholicos allowed Columbus to keep his title of Admiral of the Seas, but appointed a new governor, Nicolas de Olivando, and sent him to sent the new governor to Santo Domingo with a great fleet. But Columbus asked to be allowed to lead another voyage of exploration, which was granted. Um, end of February 1502. So he sails. At the beginning of May, and he has four ships with under 150 men, including his son Fernando and his brother Bartholomew. When he arrives in Santo Domingo, uh, the governor Orlando wouldn't let him enter the harbor. He's like, uh, not about that. So Columbus sails across the Caribbean to the coast of Honduras, where he ran into another storm. And this is when he realized, hey, this is not Asia, and this is between me and the Indies. He tries to set up a new... So how many years did it take him going back and forth to realize, oh, I guess this really isn't Asia? Like, what is that? Um, so it's probably like Eight? 1502. Yeah. So 10 years. About 10 years. Of going back and forth. Yeah. Interacting with people who are like, we don't know what you're talking about. And he finally is like, all right, I guess you're right. Well, I mean, you could tell he kind of knew because he made the people like swear an oath that this is the Indies, but they were like, still no. I know. So he, I just love this. He's trying to found a colony in Western, what is now Panama. It, it is not suitable. It's one of the rainiest places in the world. And the natives were very hostile. He leaves. Rightly so. So he leaves and he's trying to sail back to Santo Domingo. And it takes them from April 16th to June 10th to fight their way eastward across the south coast of Cuba. But their ship is getting really in like really bad condition, so they're forced to turn to Jamaica, and the they run the ships aground at July, uh, sorry, June twenty third. 
So Columbus and his 116 remaining crew members were forced to spend the year at St. Anne's Bay in Jamaica. Uh, when they reached St. Domingo in August 1503, the governor would not let him charter a rescue ship. And the problem is, while he was over there, uh, he faced a mutiny with his men because they were trying to leave on their own. They're like, uh, we out. He's like, no, like, we out. No, fine. Um, but they also found out that the governor knew how dangerous his predicament was on St. Anne's Bay, but wouldn't let anyone rescue him. Probably because he's such an asshole. So there was an actual pitched battle between Columbus's followers and the mutineers on May 29th. And finally, they got a chartered vessel at the end of June 1504. Columbus chartered another boat and left for Spain September 1504. By the time he ri- arrives in November, he's ill. He, the Queen Isabel dies November 26th, and he, Columbus recovers his health enough and he goes to see King Ferdinand. He tries to get the king to allow another expedition. So mind you, no matter how bad his expedition goes, he goes, let's, let's try this again. We should we should definitely try this again. And he keeps following the court around Spain. He moved into the house of the city of Valladolid um, in April 1506. He makes his will May 19th, and he dies the following day. And that's just in the nick of time. So the answer, the tip-off, was why do why why is he thought to be buried in two different locations well at first they believed he was buried in in the dominican republic or his the island of hispaniola and so there was a tomb over there and then they brought the bit like like the rumor was that his bones several times uh but so they moved it from santo domingo to back to spain back and forth and such but a couple years ago they did dna testing and they determined that Spain has the correct bone. So he want Columbus wanted to be buried in the Americas, but there was no, they said no church of significant stature at that point. So, yeah. Um, so in 1537, Maria de Rojas y Toledo, who is a widow of one of Columbus's son, Diego, sent the bones of her, hus- her husband and his father to the cathedral in Santo Domingo to, for burial. They were there until 1795 when Spain had ceded Hispaniola to France, and they were like, uh, we're not leaving Columbus's bones. So they, they, they took the remains they believed were his to Havana and then to Seville when the Spanish-American War broke out. But in 1877, there were workers in the cathedral in Santo Domingo, cathedral who unearthed um, a lend box with, with the inscription, illustrious, distinguished male Don Cristóbal Colón, and so it's Christopher Columbus. And they were like, oh, these are the correct bones. And so it's been going back and forth. And this article is from 2006. So since 2006, they did DNA testing, determined that Spain has the correct bones. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure they probably were doing, like, they're going to do more testing on the other uh, bones. But they believe that Spain has the correct bones. But there are still, like, there's still, like, tombs to both. So you can see his he's buried in... Seville, so you can see, go to the Seville Cathedral, and they're like, Pacific. I've seen it, it's pretty awesome. So now you know. Use it for Jeopardy. <laughs> I know. And that's the story of Christopher Columbus. That was good. Thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Chorus, Podbean. If you, if, nah, if we are not yet on your preferred app, let us know so we can fix that stat. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It's the best way to spread the word of this podcast. So check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcast to get the episode tip off. That's the of the week and additional information about the week's topics. If you'd like to suggest a recipe or a topic, you can email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Long distance high five. I think we were in a long distance high five. Yeah. <laughs> you left me hanging for so long. Sorry.